Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Great to have you back as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Pat. Thanks for joining us today, Pat. Patrick and Tom worked on a bunch of shows together in Holy Cross, including The Seagull and Caucasian Chalk Circle. You may also recognize Pat for joining us on the Broken Blossoms episode. Patrick still conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, which consists of two rounds of three questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Today's movie was suggested to us by Tom. We will be jumping into the drama horror sci-fi film Bride of Frankenstein by James Whale, who is also known for Showboat, Man in the Iron Mask, Frankenstein, and The Invisible Man. Other big movies in 1935 include Annie Oakley, Mutiny on the Bounty, and four Shirley Temple movies, including The Littlest Rebel. Now, Tom, tell us a little bit about the plot of this one and why you thought this would be a fun uh, one for this episode. All right. So the plot follows right on the heels of Frankenstein. They have burnt down the windmill. They think they've killed Frankenstein. They have failed to kill Frankenstein. He comes back. Uh, Victor Franken, uh, Frankenstein's monster, excuse me. Victor Frankenstein has been injured. He goes home to uh, convalesce in the arms of his loving wife who's been changed from the previous movie um and frankenstein of course is still alive frankenstein's monster of course is still alive he comes out and uh starts roaming the countryside meanwhile the evil dr pretorius uh, a former colleague of victor finds victor kidnaps his wife and demands that they together create woman the bride of frankenstein's monster or just the Bride of Frankenstein, for simplicity's sake. I suggested this movie. I was between this and The Spirit of the Beehive, um, which is like this 1970s Spanish film that's that's very strange and kind of Frankenstein-esque. Um, but I, I like this. Uh, I like this and I like the original Frankenstein. The rest of the movies sort of bleed together to me uh, because it is a kind of beautiful looking. I think the sets are, are, are gorgeous, but also it's probably the most fun i mean there's um there's a lot of camp there's a lot of energy in it uh it's it's both kind of tender at points but also still it's kind of the first movie that has a sense of humor about itself without um without kind of mocking the franchise and i think the film following this son of frankenstein does that a little bit not entirely mocking, but but a little bit. And so I, I like this movie for those reasons. How about you, KJ? So I had heard of the Universal Monsters, right? We've all heard of Frankenstein, Dracula, um, Invisible Man, you know, the Wolfman. But I had not seen any of the movies from back in the day. So Tom suggested Bride of Frankenstein, went to the library, got the DVD, put it in. And it starts with a bunch of people saying... Previously, on the last movie, here's what happened. I did not realize Bride of Frankenstein was an actual sequel to Frankenstein. So I paused, turned it off, back to the library, and got Frankenstein, which was in a binge box with a bunch of other classic movies. So I figured, might as well start with Dracula. So I put Dracula on, pretty good. 
put Frankenstein on. It was okay. And then eventually watched um, Bride of Frankenstein. So of these three, I would recommend uh, going back and watching the silent film Nosferatu. I thought that kind of did the horror genre better than any of at least the first three um, classic universal monster movies. Um, I thought Dracula was better than Frankenstein. I thought Frankenstein was better than Bride of, but I'm interested to jump in and see what we're going to discuss today. How about you, Nick? So I think I wasn't aware as well that it was a direct sequel. I knew they were related, but I did not expect to see like a recap of the first movie um, as this one began. And as I saw that recap, I actually realized, I think back in the day, I may have seen the original Frankenstein because all of that seemed very familiar to me. And then I was thinking a little bit further back uh, this goes back to when I graduated college. One of my other friends who is a, a, a frequent guest or somewhat frequent guest on this podcast, our friend Doug, when we graduated, we actually went backpacking in Europe. And I swear this somehow relates to this episode and, and this topic. And while we were going through various trains and traveling around, I somehow found uh, a bookstore and they had a limited selection of English books, okay, to kill the time. And one of those books was Dracula. And I think Doug might have actually gotten Frankenstein or something else in that genre. They were like, a, you know, monster classics. And when I came home, I think that's when I actually saw the original Frankenstein because I was doing a similar thing that KJ was doing, exploring that whole genre and all these different uh, original monsters and whatnot. And I think I do remember enjoying that uh, story. And then, of course, my mind bled directly into uh, Mel Brooks' interpretation of uh, this genre as well. And I had to make sure I put the two separate <laughs> when I was thinking of the previously on. Um, but I did, uh, I did realize after all that that I did see this movie. I never had seen Bride of Frankenstein before at all. And in fact, I think we'll get into this. I was actually surprised how little the bride actually had to do with the actual movie or how much she actually was in the actual movie. Uh, so I, I'm glad I saw it. I was very surprised at the runtime too. I thought it was quite short, but maybe that's just how the runtimes were back then. It came in at about an hour and 15 minutes. So that was one thing that I, I thought was interesting. And I'll save the rest of my comments for the later in the episode. Um, Pat, what were your thoughts? So I guess I'll start with, so um my kind of early experience, at least with Frankenstein. So I've the um, <clears throat> I've read the book many, many times um, because I actually, when I was in high school, I used to do uh, academic decathlon, and the one of the topics that they one of the ten topics is literature, and one of the years that I did it, the book was Frankenstein. Um, so you have to be very, very familiar with the book um, when you're competing in it. So I read the book a lot. Um, I haven't probably read it in almost 20 years, but I did, I read it a number of times in high school. Um, and then I've seen the original movie Frankenstein. That's why I kind of asked to be on this particular podcast because I actually bought like last fall or something like that. I, I was just at Barnes and Noble and I was shopping through the DVDs and they had a set of like all the Frankenstein movies. So I bought that set and I actually had watched, you know, with the intention like, Oh, I'll watch them. Um, you know, in the spring or over the winter or whatever like that. So I, I watched the Frankenstein movie, the, the first movie relatively recently, um, and then saw that this was was on the list for a future one. So I thought, oh, this is perfect. I'll, this gives me an excuse to get back to those DVDs and watch the rest of them. Um, so I've seen 
the original Frankenstein relatively recently and then I, you know, watched Bride of Frankenstein. And yeah, it, it is a bit jarring because it's sort of like it is it's you don't you don't see many movies other than something like, you know, like a Lord of the Rings or something like that, where it's like the first movie starts with them being like, OK, we're going to recap the last movie. Like, you don't see that that frequently these days. I think like Back to the Future was like the only thing I could think of yeah. that we saw recently on the podcast as well. That was like, this was the last movie. Here we go. Yeah. It's, it's a very, uh, it's, it's, jar, it's somewhat jarring almost. And even though I'd seen it, I didn't, I also didn't realize kind of how direct of a, of a sequel it was. I was like, oh, well, you know, again, I haven't just seen the, the other one relatively recently. I'm like, okay, well, at least I'm familiar with it. I remember it. Um, so at least I did have that familiarity with it. Um, as far as its similarities to the book goes, it's it, it's basically nothing. Like there is a there is a monster, there is a man named Frankenstein, and there is a fiance named Elizabeth. Other than that, <laughs> these movies are nothing, basically like the book. So it's pretty funny how how much they departed from it. But it is, it, as you said, it's it's an interesting film. Um, I I actually liked it more than the original Frankenstein personally. Um, but we can get into that when we kind of get into the more nitty gritty of the film. But that's my that is my take on the film. Okay, and and you know the drill here too. Uh, we of course need to know what you think would be the best snack to enjoy uh, while watching Bride of Frankenstein. So I think what you should have is you know I figure again I, I like saying you gotta you gotta you gotta bring both the worlds together from this thing. So I think what you should have is you know we're, we're gonna go with the the world of the monster. So when he's in the, the, the hut with the, the old man, the blind man, you know, he has a nice sort of, you know, he has his little bread and his food and things like that. So I'd say, you know, get, get like a nice cheese and bread platter kind of thing, you know, something like that. A little classy. It's an old film. Have a nice kind of classy thing like that. And then um, so we can kind of get into the world of our Dr. Pretorius. You should just have a nice solid glass of gin. Um, so we're going to have some gin and, and some, uh, some nice cheese and bread, I think would be a good snack to, to enjoy with this film. Okay, all I have to say is bread, good. <laughs> it's time for Movie Quiz. All right, let's get started. And I, I've already made a mistake. It's Henry, not Victor. <laughs> it's Victor in the book, <laughs> and they've changed his first name for some reason in this. But let's get started anyway. So round one, each question will be worth one point. All question category names will be quotes from Boris Karloff's character in this movie. Category one, <gasps> category two, <sighs> and category three. <laughs> so Pat, as our guest, which one would you like? Why don't we go with, <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Is that better? It'll serve. It's time for question one. Name the figures in Pretorius's glass containers. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Okay, so I think what we'll do is have the person who says locked in last go first. I think that's fair. <laughs> so, Nick. Not fair. Not fair at all. If you lock in early, you get a reward. Um, so, so, Nick, what do you have for us? I have a king a queen a ballerina and a quiet guy okay thank you nick kj you locked in second what do you have okay i have the king the queen the mermaid the ballerina 
And I know there's one more. I don't remember what it is because once this scene started, I'm like, Ooh, Tom might ask this question. So while they were showing who Nick is calling the quiet guy, I was getting a computer to type these, these down. So I don't remember who it is. Um, but there's another one that I want to add. It, it, during the scene, the king is eating a chicken leg. So the only way he could have gotten that chicken leg is if Dr. Pretorius also I made a little chicken the same way he made the other one. So I'd also like to include the chicken on my list of the people that Dr. Pretorius had made. Okay, so I think you have one more than Nick. So, so far you are leading. And now, Pat, what do you have? Like the others, I, I had a feeling this one would come up, so I did memorize them. So there is a king, a queen, an archbishop, a devil, a ballerina, and a mermaid. All right, and the point goes to Pat. Very well done. <laughs> we were done, KJ. <laughs> no chance. All right. So I one of the, the best things about this movie for me is, is um, how the spotlight moves from Frankenstein to Pretorius. Uh, and was wondering what you guys thought of that. Pertorius, I keep putting his, the R in the wrong place. Um, I was wondering what you guys thought of that and thought of that character. I think the movie should have been called Pertorius. Like the last one was called mm -hmm. Frankenstein, who was the main scientist in the movie. This one, Pertorius, I think was the main guy in the movie. The, the bride, the title made no sense to me. So I, I, I think he was great. I loved it when he was on scene. The special effects in this little person uh, scene was mind-boggling for, for what year is this? 1935? I, I couldn't believe it. People in theater must have been blown away and then disappointed until Star Wars. Like that, that was really good special effects. Um, so I really liked him. And I liked when he was on the, the, how do I say? He was always in a cool set. The sets he was in were always really cool as well. And I think that was also kind of part of his personality. I liked him too. He's he's um he's sort of like wonderfully campy and, and wonderfully effeminate also. <laughs> uh, and it kind of it comes out of of um when he's on stage, it also kind of comes out of Colin Clive more also, who plays Frankenstein. And they they have this this kind of um sort of frenetic almost kind of feminine energy when they're working together on things which you know which i really liked uh it, it it's a shame this is not a more recent film i think this would be like a good camp character to to you know go and dress as or something like that but yeah and this is a, a bizarre scene too for for the movie it's you know, very you know you're in a different film than the first when this scene happens a Bride of Frankenstein is actually a pretty short movie. It's only an hour and 15 minutes. And this scene was pretty long considering the movie was only an hour and 15 minutes. Like this showcase of these little people, uh, as I, I, it felt very out of place, but it might have been better than the rest of the movie. I don't know. I think my only problem with Dr. Pretorius, I do like the character, but just like you guys were talking about, I didn't decide to watch the Dr. Pretorius movie. I wanted to see The Bride of Frankenstein and the monsters. And he really did take center stage. And I think he did a great job. It just, it's, I don't want to say mis misleading what the title, but I was actually pretty surprised how much he was showcased in this movie. And he actually portrays more of the role of a villain than any of the monsters, which I, again, I know is kind of the point with even the original Frankenstein's monster. But it's uh, it's interesting to see how much screen time he actually took up. Yeah, I, I think the, the character is an interesting one, and, and I think to your point, he's he's probably more interesting than most of the 
other characters in the uh, in the film for the most part, you know, with the exception of some of the other kind of minor characters. Like you actually get a good kind of fleshing out in some ways of like the the uh, the old man in the in the hut actually kind of gets a even even more kind of finer characterization drawn lines but it's like you know if you had to kind of give a character description of say like elizabeth she doesn't she literally does nothing like she is not there she is there to be kidnapped and then not do anything again you know and, and you know even the like which again i'd like you know to your point tom it's like you know you're in a different movie in some ways with like the old woman in the beginning you know the the servant in the house kind of running around it's it's, it's got this kind of campier feel to it um and I think that allows it to explore a slightly wider range of emotions. But as far as this character goes, like, yeah, he's he's got that sort of delightfully, almost Hannibal Lecter-y kind of quality, just this, like, supremely creepy, but you like him because he's kind of good, you know, it's sort of like, it's like a Hannibal Lecter thing. Like, you 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 appreciate him because he's good at what he does. And, you know, he sort of has his own sensibility about him and, and he kind of gets what he gets what he wants done. You know, I especially love the whole sequence with, you know, again, there's the... Uh, that when they're in the grave, like when they're the the monster is hiding on, on the graves underground or whatever, and he goes and and literally it's not like he's I don't even think he's looking for body parts. He literally just goes to a grave to dig up something and then have his dinner, and like drink his wine in a in a court with like a corpse piled up in front of him. Like he's just this delightfully evil man, and you just kind of like it, it's fun to watch him at the same at at that point. Like I I enjoyed that the character himself you know he's he's campy he's great like he's actually he, he's got a lot of he's got a lot more kind of depth to him in some ways than some of the other some of the other characters there there was one particular scene with dr pretorius that i i did quite enjoy uh he when he's working with uh dr frankenstein and they the heartbeat the heart they have is not going to be good so he needs a fresh heart and they really i i don't know if you guys felt this way too but they allude i'm like is he going to take the heart out of this guy's wife? <laughs> like, is that what's going on here? Because then his little minion runs off and we know that she, you know, proves that she's alive kind of deal. Um, and I, I, I think that was very purposeful from, from my watch. And I think that was also well done. Because I'm like, is he that bad <laughs> that he's going to do that? <laughs> and again, he didn't kill her. Just kill somebody else, though. <laughs> yeah, but not oh, okay. her. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that's where they were going so that the yeah. bride could be the bride of Dr. Frankenstein because he had the heart of his wife. But like you say, Nick, then they were very careful to show the audience, no, that's not what we did because they had the wife call Frankenstein on the futuristic telephone that they had. All right. Shall we move on to question number two? And this one will be for KJ. The remaining categories are and uh, let's go with. Uh, it's time for question two. Name the characters having a conversation in the opening of the film. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Okay, Jay. So sorry. You have to go first. So who are they? All right. This is this is gonna be embarrassing on multiple levels because not only do i not really remember their names but i'm pretty sure one of them was the author of the books and i can't remember her name either so here we go mary shelley okay keep going yeah okay mary shelley. um and then fancy guy one and fancy guy two I, I don't really know why they were there and what they were doing but they were fancy so those are the three all right thank you i think nick you locked in second 
Yeah, I feel a little bad about getting this one right, I think, because I was doing some research before the episode. So, yeah, full disclosure. So one of them was Mary Shelley, and I don't remember. They actually say her. um, It's a very long middle name or maiden name in there as well. Um, Her husband is Percy Shelley and some guy named Lord Byron. Yeah, so I, I... I didn't research this, but if you've read the book, they, they make a very pointed reference about them. But yes, it is Percy, Percy Shelley. Um, his wife, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley is her name. Her mother was actually quite quite famous as well in her own right. Um, and that's her, her mother's actually Mary Wollstonecraft. Um, so Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. And uh, yeah, Lord Byron, who was the, Lord, the sort of famous poet of the day. But... Okay, very good. So Nick and Pat, each get a point. Let's, uh, let's talk about that opening, which is the the big change from probably this movie and any other of Universal's monster movies, which are, um, the, the Universal monster movies aren't quite MGM. They don't churn them out. And it, the, the fact they didn't churn them out kind of cost the studio a lot of money. Um, but this is probably the like the biggest break and biggest distinction between this picture and any of the other ones in that in that canon of work. So what do we think of that frame narrative? I'm just going to go out there before you guys start. I thought that scene was kind of awkward. So you have this lady and she's sewing and then these other guys are talking about this and there's a storm. And next thing you know, like they're both on sitting on the same couch as her on both sides. Just the whole sequence just seemed a little awkward to me. But that's just my opinion. I think in real life, their relationship was probably pretty awkward. Yeah, <laughs> it actually, because I'm pretty sure at this point she was with Percy Shelley and he was he was married, not to her. Yeah. Um, so, and I think Lord <laughs> Byron was also not known for his um, restraint. Restraint is probably yeah, some the tension right. in that room. His, his, Let me just put it that way. Yeah. 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 She. She. He was married to somebody else, and he started living, and eventually marries. Obviously, Mary Shelley. Um, but he writes to his wife, as you know, his first wife, and says, "You may live with us in the fashion of a sister." And nobody has explained to me what that means. <laughs> yeah, I think I could figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like it, it's it's a it's a very odd. I mean, it's an odd framing device for a few reasons because I, I find it funny because you know, a it's sort of a, you know it, it really makes it, it it sort of implies that this actually is the Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley book, which it. 100% isn't basically nothing you know from the from the previous end to this thing so it makes this weird sort of thing of like oh no this actually is what was written by it so it that struck me as kind of weird the other thing I love is sort of the the backwardsly anachronistic thing where they clearly are setting this thing in like early 19th century but the, you know this sort of like framing story but the story itself they clearly have taking place in like late 19th early 20th century because they've like completely changed it so it struck me as very odd in terms of this sort of thing I'm, I'm not totally sure why they did it other than to either a give it sort of a credence of respectability because like look at all these these people wearing fancy clothing wrote this book so it, it, it it's not a horror movie it's a respectable film or, or i don't know if that was it or whether yeah they just kind of needed some sort of framing device to pull in you know, the, to kind of connect it to the previous movie. I have no idea what it's 
doing there it's a very odd it's very odd it's kind of it is jarring yeah it's really strange i mean today when we're watching tv shows sometimes you get that previously on lost and they'll go through whatever um i guess back then if you missed frankenstein in the theater it was just assumed you would never see frankenstein right i mean maybe they reran it in theaters but so i wonder if they also needed it so that people who hadn't seen frankenstein by word of mouth would understand there was a previously on and they could still go and enjoy it Pat, did you say Mary Shelley also wrote herself into the book? No, no, no. I'm saying that like nothing. That's what they're almost implying is that she wrote a sequel. Yeah, that's what the movies almost seems to be implying is that she wrote a sequel. And, you know, she, you know, the, she wrote the original book. And then she said, oh, no, we're going to have a sequel. And, and they've kind of, that's what they're almost implying, which is like not at all what it was. It's just sort of like, no, basically nothing that actually happened in this movie actually is in the book. So then are we to believe that Frankenstein, the movie, didn't actually happen? It was a story by the character in Bride of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, and then Bride of Frankenstein didn't happen, where it's just a story she told one night to the uh, Lord Fancy Pants and husband Fancy Pants? Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's what's happening, right? That's how the frame works. The frame is a story within a story, so it's it's by definition not true. Um you know, the, the thing is, though, what they're replicating actually, quote unquote, happened. I mean, there was a villa in Italy where they, you know, had a competition and, and wrote these stories. Obviously, this account didn't happen. It was, it was very, you know, very different. Um, but it, it does, I mean, you, you know, we're, we're kind of recognizing, obviously, she doesn't write the, you know, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley doesn't write The Bride of Frankenstein. But she does sort of get, she gets the authority as the author in this movie. Uh, in the prior movie, it's like, I, I think it's uh, based upon a story by Mrs. Percy Shelley is how she's credited in, in the past movie. And in this, not only is she, um, not only does she kind of get her, her own voice back just in terms of this, hmm this thing um she also gets to remain the sort of the uh the sort of the main character in the background until the end when she you know once again kind of takes control of the movie it, it's really silly also i mean the way byron says everything is is absurd it's not a, it's not really a british accent it's everything is <laughs> rolling it's a wonderful story full of rollicking you know it, it's <laughs> It's more fantasy, you know, like yeah, it's it's like as fantastical almost as the as the, the story itself. It made me think of Princess Bride for yeah. some reason. <laughs> it's bit, yeah, um, mm -hmm. Mal, which is what brings us together in this movie. Inconceivable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good connection. It is kind of like that, um, but yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's kind of what it's doing there. I think it it kind of allows allows her a little more allows her an authority, um, and and it also again kind of like sets the tone. So it's kind of Byron and and Mary Shelley being a little ridiculous, and then right after that you get uh, oh God, what's her name? Uh, Mimi, Mi Minnie, Minnie. Minnie is Minnie, yeah. Minnie, yeah. Uda Uda Una O'Connor's character who is um, also very campy and over the top, although I, I didn't really enjoy that performance. Uh, and I think that if you went right into the movie and you started with, with Minnie just kind of screaming, it would be a lot harder to, <laughs> to get into this world. They also make reference 
to the fact that you just mentioned when she originally wanted to get this published, again, she was still under the shadow of her husband because of the times. And they actually did bring that up even in that parlor conversation about how, oh, it will get published or, or something like that. They do talk about that. And then she goes into, but do you want to hear the rest of my story? So they do kind of talk to that point. And there, there was, they, those were different times. It was not easy for uh, a, a female writer to get published and, and have her work really put out there. It was easy for her mother. Her mother was like yeah. the, a really big deal. <laughs> yeah, I suspect because at this point, I don't even think when she actually wrote it, because I think she was 19 when it was written. And again, she wasn't she wasn't actually married, I don't think, at that point still. She was not actually married to him. She was his she was his mistress, but she wasn't married to him. I suspect she probably got it published yeah, through connections with her parents because her father was also a fairly prominent um writer as well um he was more a philosopher but and she was sort of an early feminist and but i think i'm assuming that's probably because actually i don't actually know how she did get it published per se because she you know but she did have some pretty powerful connections both from her family history and from the people she knew something i was i was reading about this um said that it originally was published anonymously yeah that would that, that, be, i just yeah. remembered i yeah. i, I read something about this not for this episode but when i was just interested in this topic it might have been joseph johnson her her father was a he's a, one of the big publishers uh he's actually i think the first person to publish william blake also um and he published Wollstonecraft and he published william godwin um he might have been around then also um because they they were very close they were this kind of like band of radicals the, uh, her parents, anyway, Wollstonecraft and Godwin and and Shelley too, I think. And then William Blake sort of hung out with them, even though he was so weird, nobody like listened to him that much. <laughs> um, but uh, th that could have been how it went in. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I'm just looking up something because I wish I was able to explain this better um, when I first brought up the topic, because it just was in the back of my mind from past studies here. But uh, it looks like she started it when she was 18. And I know what the controversy was that somebody miscredited uh, that her husband, Percy, wrote it. Well, maybe he edited some of it. He was not the one who wrote it. So there was a whole thing about she didn't get credit for it for quite some time. And this movie gives it to her in this scene. I was going to say, it gives her credit for not the old, not only the old tale, but the new made-up tale. <laughs> Yeah, no, it it is an interesting point, Tom. I think that 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 you're right. It does. It gives it gives an an authorial voice that did not exist before to to her. And and yeah, my take was probably you know, which I don't think actually is the correct one. My assumption was that I thought they were doing it more as a like we're trying to give our film credibility by doing so. But I think you're actually have an interesting point. I don't think that actually is what they're doing. I think there is a bit more of um a bit more generosity associated with it, which I think is an interesting observation. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, the, you know, and I think especially towards, um, you know, Mary Shelley, who, uh, who kind of gets the final spotlight. All right, shall we go into question number three? This is from the category. It's time for question three. What does Dr. Pretorius and Henry drink to? This is the toast that Dr. Pretorius says. Locked in. Locked in. 
locked in. KJ, you look so scared. <laughs> uh, so you're going to go first, despite your fear. All right. Well, I, you know, I was really excited. I saw that scene and, and well, it might come up later as a question, but th- they're part of that scene I really liked, but I can't quite remember what they drink to, but they, they talk a lot about um, men becoming gods because they can create life. So maybe they toasted to becoming gods. They toasted to of men and monsters. I think it was to, of, to gods and monsters. All right. Thank you, Pat. And Pat, you got it right. The, the line was, to a new world of gods and monsters. Um, and, and the reason why I brought this up, this is sort of going into the, the kind of work of the director. Uh, this, was, um, this was the name, Gods and Monsters was the name of the biopic of James Whale, the director. And in the biopic, it was based on a, a novel called Frankenstein's, the, the Father of Frankenstein. And then it was made into a movie with uh, Sir Ian McKellen playing James oh. Whale. Um, and it's a it's a movie that strongly emphasizes um, Whale's sexuality, uh, which the response from people who knew Whale was, you know, like calm it down a, <laughs> a little bit. Was was he gay? I'm assuming. Yeah. Based on that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then that explains some of the. Film. <laughs> yeah. So um, the so what has happened from you know kind of discussions of whale sexuality is there is like a lot of queer readings of this movie, like so much so that they've they've kind of looped around the other side and said maybe maybe it isn't so much. Um, but I was thinking about what what you thought of the director's sensibility and you know the the direction more broadly. I thought it was actually surprising in some scenes, uh, especially when they added more type musical numbers, uh, especially when he meets the blind man in the cabin in the woods, Frankenstein's monster. Some of that scene I really enjoy, but some of it also seems out of place to the environment that we're introduced to. And there's other elements that don't kind of flow. It's almost like you're watching different type of films one is a serious one is a horror one is uh and i think you guys put it right very campy like it it, it's not consistent throughout the movie that was at least my feeling when i watched it i I was jumping in and out of different genres while watching the same movie yeah i agree nick that the movie did feel quite disconnected you had the miniature scene which felt like its own vignette you had when the monster meets the old man which felt like its own vignette um i i thought the 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 acting was campy like you guys said um the sets were really good i don't know how much he had to do with the sets but the sets were really cool uh one of the other things i really didn't like was during the um i'll call it a pre-resurrection scene he tilted all the cameras at like i don't know 35 degree angles or something and i found it kind of obnoxious i guess he was trying to show the insanity of uh dr frankenstein at that point um but i didn't really like that decision so yeah i'm not sure i would compare it to the original frankenstein which to my mind is is i think an inferior film i think that movie has a clunky kind of disconnected feel because that one seems to just be very much like scene and then scene and then scene and then scene and there really isn't a lot of progression through through it um whereas this one i i actually think the sort of tonal mix I personally thought it worked quite well, and I and I think it gives the it gives the film more 
it gives it a little bit more pathos, I think, in the sense that like, you know, especially, you know, and, and I, we, we just mentioned is like that, I, I think that um, the sort of hut scene is a, is a sort of, it's a, I think, I think having the monster speak, maybe, maybe that's a little bit too much. Um, I think, I think that probably was, it depends, either, either you had to have them kind of go full, full length in, and actually speak like a person or you kind of needed to just not do it. I, I don't think that the, as you said, bread good. I think it's just, <laughs> It's, it's, it's kind of it's not necessary i don't think it worked but that aside i think that scene is very effective in the sense that it, it does actually give an idea of like it you know the the that the monster actually does have this sort of it, it, his his rejection is sort of the problem here and it gives the ending a lot more effectiveness too and i and i do think that you know tom you said you didn't like uh is it, i think it's mini yeah that that performances over the top and ridiculous i thought it was funny <laughs> i don't think you're supposed to laugh at it um but you know i actually thought that it, it compared especially to the first film i thought it had a much more sort of despite the fact that the tone kind of shifts i thought it has a much more progressive arc to it and sort of more continuity to it in my opinion than the first movie and i think in part that is just it's not just kind of hitting the same note over and over and over again like the first movie does it's got a bit more kind of nuance to it and it's it's a little bit more it's it's not it's it's almost it's not quite the same but it just pops in my head it's it's not quite like scream where there's where they're sort of doing a spoof of horror films at the same time that they're doing a really serious horror film but i think there's a little there's a little bit of that in there in the sense that you know you've you don't quite have the fawns as the principal of the high school but you know we, we've we're, we're approaching that sort of tonal shift thing where it, it gives it a little bit more kind of cleverness than I thought the first film had. See, Pat, I, I think where, I think there's a lot of valid points there, but the thing that I go back to is, I wrote, I don't usually write a lot of notes down, but I wrote something down when I was watching this and it was pace equals fast. So I think with that change of tone and the fact, I don't know what you guys think. I'd love to hear it if you agree with me on this. This movie flies. I mean, it, and that's why I think those tonal shifts hit me harder is because they're moving, 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 moving. So they jam-pack a lot within that hour and 15 minutes. And I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that, guys. Well, to, to kind of take into consideration both those points, um, I, I think what you're saying, Pat, like this movie – this movie has this this arc of progression um and even though it is able to do these campy things it's still i think able to progress because it's anchored to the development of the monster from um you know when we first see him and he, he kills a guy whose daughter he killed to at the end when he has a recognition the, the movie ends with the monster having a recognition and the steps up to that point make sense or they're the right ingredients for ha him to have that recognition. So we can have um, some kind of campy fun with, with these characters. I think because it's grounded in the pathos of this one character who does have an arc of development. And I think that's probably the reason that the pace feels so, so fast. Um, I didn't, I didn't have the same necessarily the same feeling, Nick. It, it felt, it didn't feel like we're, we're going, you know, 90 miles an hour. It, it felt, right the pace for me um and i but i do think that it had that kind of uh that kind of motivation was we, we see this the, the monster learning and coming to some sort of recognition 
No, I just have a question because this is something, and it's actually an interesting point, Nick, because this is something my, my brother and I are actually like uh, just having a conversation about something very similar to this, which is that like he was saying that, like they, I can't remember what movie they went to see. They went to see some movie relatively, well, actually this conversation must have been a while ago because now the thing about it, nobody can see movies. But anyway, he went to go see a movie and they were watching this movie at the movie theater and he, he said, he goes, it was some movie that was like two hours long, you know, two hour plus long movie, like a modern movie. And he goes, it felt, so strange because he goes the the movie felt like it was cutting out so much and moving so fast and he was like and it, it's a full-length movie and his his thing is he goes i think it's because where people got so used to things like game of thrones or something where it's like 10 hours a season or you know whatever it is like these things that you know television has sort of changed our perception of what is acceptable to cut so whereas like, you know, old, you know, films take shortcuts over and over and over and over again, like they have to establish things quickly because they're trying to get it done in, in two hours or less, you know, around there. Whereas hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, no, you know, <laughs> and so when, when you take that and you go from like, you know, sort of a, a, an audience that's, tr that's spent so much more time watching things like Netflix and very well-developed, long established dramas, you know, taking something like Breaking Bad, where you watch one character's descent over many, 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 many episodes, and you take something like that and you cut it down to an hour and 15 minutes, it feels, it feels cut, like it just feels rushed, because it's sort of as, as audiences, we've gotten a lot more used to just more careful developments of characters. I, I, and so I wonder if that's part of it. KJ. I'm going to have to put you on the spot because you seem to have some similar thoughts that I did regarding the tone of this movie. Did you feel that about the pace? I did not think it was too fast paced. Um, I, I should also say I, I probably didn't watch this in one sitting. I have a habit of watching movies 20 to 30 minutes at a time. So that also might have influenced um, how I felt about it. But no, I didn't. Like a Netflix episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Need, need those um, breaks in between. Um, so no, I, I didn't feel, I, I, you know, I, I have no thoughts on the pacing, which is strange. Usually that's something I look for in a movie. I thought it was fast. Like for me to write that down, uh, you know, and especially with the jumping from scenes, that's not saying it was bad. I actually did enjoy the movie, but there are certain things that I enjoyed more than others, just like the, pr the progression of Frankenstein's monster and some of the things with Dr. Pretorius. I think the whole time I was waiting for the bride to really hit the center stage. And I don't want to jump ahead. If any questions are going there, you barely get that payoff. You know, Dr. Pretorius was probably the best character in the movie, hands down. But the more I think about it, my second favorite character might've been Minnie. So while I was watching, I might've just been waiting for the next mini scene. And that kind of influenced how I felt about the pacing. Cause, cause she's kind of a heartbeat throughout this whole thing, right? She's in the beginning, she's hysterical. Um, she's there as a servant fly on the wall. Um, and then even when they're bringing the monster in, she's, she's kind of always observing. She's kind of a chorus, right? She's sort of the chorus of this movie. And you know, she's, uh, she's not us because she's, she's a, kind of an over the top of a comic character, but she's the voice piece for the town, for the community. And so we know what the heartbeat of the town is because we have Minnie to, to convey it. See, just when I think Cage and I are, are seeing things through the same lens, 
he has to go there. And I, I actually, over the top is definitely what Minnie was. And I, I felt she was just too much of a caricature for my taste, but she did what she was supposed to do. I think she was right for the movie. I mean, my, my, my complaint was that the, her, her kind of volume just sort of irritated me. It was, it was, yeah. it, it was yeah. kind of like a personal problem. <laughs> no, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, she I, did this, what she was supposed yeah. to do. It just... Yeah, and, and I, I sort of love her double takes. Uh, at one point, um, she kind of like, ooh, and runs away and stops and looks again and goes, ooh, and runs away. I, I love that scene. <laughs> uh, but it shifts from she's like dancing on his grave to, oh yeah, the monster's back. Okay, yeah, just come that's... in the house. <laughs> But I, you know, I, I think the tonal shifts are, are you know, are, are also pretty enjoyable. And I think they're enjoyable for me because they're set up early. Right? I think everything in this movie is is kind of set in place. I know what type of movie I'm going to get into because of that beginning, and because we were the comic characters are put front and center. And you know, there's never a chance that Doctor Pretorius is anything other than than you know, campy.com. Right. And, and so, you know, following his kind of evil and, and like you mentioned, Pat, how delightful it is. He's sort of Hannibal Lecter like um, that. See, that's a movie where they get the tone wrong. It's Dr. Pretorius, Hannibal Lecter or The Silence of the Lambs is sticking Dr. Pretorius in like the most serious crime movie ever made. Uh, you know, so that that's a movie where I find the tone weird. This, I, I was able to go with it. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. But I think that's a good point too, Pat, about how uh, television has made us in some way, I don't know if discipline's the right word. Um, it, it, expectations, I think. Okay. I mean, I don't know if that's, yeah, yeah, the, the I think it sets an expectation. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right word either. But. That we can, yeah, set, we can spend time with a character as, a, as he or she develops and not, not expect a lot of payoff right away. Yeah, I wonder, maybe it does change your viewing habits completely. I'm not sure. Um, but. but to KJ's earlier point, uh, the sets, what they were able to accomplish, the visuals for 1935, they did a very good job. Yeah, and, and a lot of that was Whale. Whale wasn't a set designer. He, he came from the stage, um, and he, he actually became known. He, he directed on stage a, a war picture, and he became known as like a war picture guy. Um, his, the movie that kind of crushed his career was a sequel to All Quiet on the Western Front that he did after this. KJ and I talked about that one. With, so I, go, I, go, I oh. looked at it and I go, he directed a sequel to All Quiet on the West. It ends on November 11th. How <laughs> is there a sequel? <laughs> I, I, it's, I think it's called The Road Home. So it's about them trying to come home and... Like the guy's being carried? Yeah, it how <laughs> I, No, no, I think <laughs> uh, Yeah, I, I didn't see it. My understanding is it was um it it was it tanked his career. <laughs> that's my understanding. Uh, but he was known as this like war picture guy. And that's how he, he met Clive. They worked on a, a play together. Actually, Clive replaced Laurence Olivier um on a play they worked on together. And then from there, he started doing like, um, he was known as a talkie director. He would like direct the talkie scenes in those first movies where you'd have a silent picture and then like three scenes where people talked. Uh, and because he did it for war films. Um, and so this is kind of, Frankenstein and Bride are both kind of out of his wheelhouse, so to speak, because they're not, you know, they're not sequels to All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, 
but anyway, so he has this kind of theater sensibility and he would like go to the set designers and whatnot and, and I think give pretty specific instructions. Uh, I know one example of one of his touches was um, in one scene, early in the movie, you see the the forest Frankenstein's monsters in has um, has a lot of tree, you know, has a lot of branches, has a lot of leaves. And later on, after the monster is rejected by the hermit, or not rejected by the hermit, but has to flee from the hermit, when he's running through the forest, the, the forest no longer has leaves on it. Things like that are, are part of his, his conception. Frankenstein's uh, mansion or, you know, wherever, castle, wherever he lives, the archways between the doors and stuff were these like arched triangles. They looked real cool. But one of the coolest scenes was when um, Pretorius was down in the crypt uh, when he meets the monster, I guess, for the first time, that that crypt is that classic scene from these these monster movies, right? When you picture a monster movie with the being down with the skull and he doesn't quite have a piano, but he's got that bench with all of his little foods on it that he's eaten. I, that was awesome. And in, interesting, the scene where they resurrect the bride is the exact same set as uh, for Young Frankenstein. Mel Brooks actually found that. <laughs> and, I heard now that you mentioned that I heard that story. That's why it looks familiar. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. That's pretty cool. And it, it's another, like another thing, not to not to beat this question to death, but uh, I, you know, the the gothic, it, it's it's sort of you know, it's over the top, and it's supposed to be like all these emotions come out and the supernatural. You know, it's a kind of leaving behind of the Enlightenment and and all that kind of rational nonsense. Um, but but camp and the gothic work really well together right it's like over the top spectacular um reaching for the heavens you know uh no no wall unfurnished no no you know everything is is arches and spirals and um and kind of a, a celebration of sense for the reason of celebrating sense and so it seems that a a campy movie is more suited to gothic sort of a gothic design than maybe something like serious or actually really scary. Yeah, think about Batman 89, right? That's all gothic. And then the Joker is the campy over the top guy that just fits right into that universe. Yeah. Well, Tom, this was an interesting round one. Can't wait to see what you have in store for round two. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. It's time for Guess That Song, Whistling Edition. I'll whistle a song, and you guess what it is. Here we go.
if you guessed the cup song by Anna Kendrick, you're right. And we're back. Tom, take it away. Okay. After round one, the score is KJ with zero points, Nick with one, and Pat with three. All right. Way to go, Pat. And KJ, my condolences. Uh, and round two is going to be a little different. We're going to have two questions, and then the last question will be a, a round robin. So I'm going to do the two questions first. However, if you would like to catch up, you can ask for an alternative question. The alternative question will be worth three points and allow you to jump back into the race if you're behind. But I will warn you, it is a three-point, not a two-point question, and the difficulty mirrors that. What if you're already ahead? Can you take the three-point question and go for the gold? <laughs> you can. If you would like to just, yeah. If, if you'd like to Kobe Bryant the ball down your opponent's throats, <laughs> be my guest. I mean, it's a competition. We, we, we have to, you know, yeah, it's, it's a competition. A competition. competition. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. So our categories we're going to be choosing from are friend and we belong dead pat what would you like all right let's go with we belong dead it's time for question four what does henry and dr pretorius use to attract electricity also if somebody would like to do an alternative just say that locked in locked in locked in um, so KJ, since you, you locked in rather late, you, you got to go first. So I, I know they went back to, um, where Dr. Frankenstein was in the first movie and up on the roof, there were those two dudes who were in charge of like turning a wench with a chain on it. Um, but I can't remember the actual apparatus that, that goes up. So I'm going to guess a kite. Yes. A kite. Kites, two kites. Yes, similar to the Benjamin Franklin experiment, uh, he used two kites. All right, very good. Points for everyone. So yeah, two kites it were. That was the the uh, the lab scene. Uh, what I what I like about how that scene works is that uh, Frankenstein. Um, is completely on board with with jumping into this. He doesn't want to at first, um, but as soon as his wife is kidnapped, he seems to, without any kind of frustration or anger, go right over to the lab and start getting to work on on the bride. Um, and yeah, I, I like that a lot. I was kind of curious what people thought of the depiction of Frankenstein in this, as he takes sort of second stage or moves to the side. This might be a controversial opinion, but I think the movie would have been better without him. I think it would have been a better movie if Pretorius kind of stumbled upon his old lab and he figured it out and he did everything. Um, I mean, the movie starts Frankenstein, the, the Frankenstein, the, 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 the scientist is dead. He is dead. And then miraculously comes back to life on that table um, in, in the, in, in his own mansion, I guess. Um, I'm not quite dead yet. <laughs> I think I'll go for a walk. And, and then throughout the movie, it's, it's kind of obnoxious. Oh, you have to help me with this. No, I don't want to. You must help me with this. No, I don't want to. Like, and then what, what does he actually provide? I mean, he is the only one that can figure out how to get the lab going, I guess. But I, I don't know. I don't think he was actually required for this movie. He figured out size, don't you know? 
he did he did figure out the size and i guess it's tough to get a heart started so his specialty was the reanimation whereas the other person grew his experiments so they were putting their two things together to make the perfect bride for frankenstein but how he gets to the lab and his change of attitude is quite abrupt (laughs) yeah i mean he's kind of a dud (laughs) he doesn't he doesn't really contribute very much to the film um you know i i think they they wanted the the frenetic figure from the previous movie i'm assuming they they, it was sort of a you know it's a sequel they wanted the continuity and that kind of stuff um you know to your point i think tommy you said like elizabeth is a different actress because literally that character does nothing and so you don't notice that it's a different person um but you know i think they thought they they wanted to have the same dr frankenstein for the second film but i yeah he doesn't really do very much in that in the movie um (laughs) It's not particularly necessary. So to throw out some headcanon, because I know how much everybody loves my headcanon. I was really hoping the title is The Bride of Frankenstein. I was hoping he was dead. And then Pretorius was going to get his bride to help him. And the bride was able to do what Frankenstein did in the reanimation. Um, it would be a lot of rework on the script. And, then, you know, I'm not a script writer, but that's what I was kind of hoping for. KJ, I like where your mind was earlier because it was similar to what I was thinking they were going to do, which was to really put the switcheroo and that the heart was his bride's heart and now his wife's heart is in the Bride of Frankenstein. So we can work on the rewrites uh, after the episode. There we go. Let's do it. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting because this, this Frankenstein is um, – he – reminded me a little bit more of the the Frankenstein from the book. So not, I know Pat, you mentioned writing, reading the book many times. I don't know if anybody else has. Uh, no, I have not. But I, I read the book. Yeah, I read the book when I was a kid. And then I read it again in, in a seminar a few years ago at this point. Um, God, I'm getting old. But what struck me in the like it was i read it 20 years ago i read it 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> but uh what struck me in the book is that that character is kind of a pomps he he's sort of a, a he's constantly kind of whining and self-involved um and uh he, he's also sort of deliberately blind not not literally but he doesn't he doesn't quite notice the world around him to the extent which Mary Shelley makes manifest when she switches the narrative to the monster, the monster who takes, takes over the book in, in the middle portion of it. Um, and this Frankenstein is, is also sort of, uh, he, he's, he's not interesting. He's sort of, um, like you said, Nick, he's, he's kind of uh, not really he might not even really be entirely necessary for the plot. It's sort of easy to imagine Dr. Pretorius just sort of getting the stuff and doing it on his own. Yeah, and, and future future universals also just get rid of him eventually, <laughs> you know, and then the monster just becomes, takes over. In, in the follow-up to this, The Son of Frankenstein, which is about Frankenstein's grown son, which Basil Rathborn, I think, plays it. I don't know if anybody's seen that. So the, the movie opens up with him on a train going to, to Castle Frankenstein to take it over, to inherit it. And he's going on and on about how unfairly his father has been treated. And he's like, um, 
my father, they said he created a monster, and then they associate him with that monster. It's, it's terrible. It's so bad. When people say Frankenstein, they think of the monster, not even him. And it's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that is what happened. Yeah, the, the scene itself, you know, as far as the scene itself, it's, it's an interesting scene. But yeah, that, that character is not interesting. All right, shall we go into the next question? Okay, and since there's only one left, I will just read it out. <clears throat> and this one is friend. It's time for question five. Oh, excuse me, before I start, does anybody want the alternative? KJ, I would suggest that for you, considering. Wait, I thought we could hear it first and then get the alternative. No, 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 no. You can. Oh, no. Wait, we still have one more question after this, no? No, we have the round robin after this. Oh. Um, I'm not naming every diegetic sound in Bride of Frankenstein. No, I'm not going with the alternative <laughs> question. I want the alternative. I want to do it. You do <laughs> yeah, we're going with okay. the three-point buzzer shot. Let's go. All right. <laughs> I'm good. Okay. I'm good. So I'll start with the, the regular question. Name three things the hermit shares with the monster. And then while you guys are thinking of that, I'll ask Pat, what is the only thing the ballerina will dance to? I'm locked in on the normal question. Locked in on the three things. I'm locked in. All right, Pat, since you went last, you go first. I have no idea. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I, I literally have no idea. Hubris. <laughs> um, I have no idea what it is. I don't what remember. was it when we were we were uh, doing an episode on M and it was a question about music? And I think someone was like, some something by a German composer. <laughs> It probably is well, a German. Is it German? It's uh, Mendelssohn. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's yeah. Mendelssohn. Yeah. yeah, it's it's his spring song. Yeah, it's no, the I, only thing she'll dance to. I would, I would, I would not have no, no. <laughs> um, who went next? I think Nick. You were. So three of the things that he shares are a cigar, wine, and bread. Okay, and KJ, what do you have? I had cigar, bread, and music. He shared his I, music. I am accepting also music. Mm -hmm. Very good. All good right. Answer. Nice work. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. You want to talk about the uh, the hermit scene and its place in this movie, and also probably the more famous iteration of it with uh, with young Frankenstein. <laughs> Is it Gene Hackman who's in that one? It's Gene Hackman. <laughs> Gene yeah. Hackman, I love yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just jump in. I actually liked the hermit, like the portrayal of the hermit, his acting. I thought all of that was good. I think Pat brought this up earlier where the scene starts to break down a little bit is when he teaches him how to, uh, Frankenstein's monster how to speak English. Uh, there's just some weird factors going on there. So there's cer certain parts of that scene that I think are very refreshing in that he is literally blind to the monster and only sees him as a companion and the best that he can be, whereas the world sees him as the worst. But again, once we get into that campiness, it kind of detracts from the scene a little bit. Yeah, I, I like the scene a lot. I, I did think it was it was sweet. Um, 
you know, I, I suppose like yeah, yeah, good music is you know might be might be a little over the top, but I I I still enjoyed it. <laughs> That's all I, have I to think say they had that. a fire bad in there too. Yeah, bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that scene. I just think that I think that scene's so much fun. And, and having seen the young, I, I hadn't, you know, obviously I've seen the young Frankenstein scene before. I'd seen this scene, and it, 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 I loved that scene. I just thought that scene was so well done, and it has a very much, you know, just going back to the previous film we watched, it, it has that sort of broken blossoms quality of you know the the woman going into the shop and sort of being taken care of by the the other outsider and just you know and and the scene where like he he thanks god for sending him a friend and just it it just like it it actually does i mean even even for a relatively jaded modern audience i thought that tugged a little hard on the on the heartstrings like i i thought that was really touching like i just i loved that scene i th- i think that's just like a beautiful piece of of film i really liked it I don't usually dig in and, and start asking questions to a movie because if, if the narrative's good and it, and it takes me for a ride, it's great. But if this blind guy has no friends and nobody, how does he function? Where, like he was cooking food. Where did that come from? Where does the bread come from? Does he, does he take his violin stick and make his way to the market every day? And I, it, the only problem I had is it, it felt so convenient that there was a blind guy living by himself in a thing looking for a friend frankenstein walks there the monster walks in and then they become instant friends and tom i don't know if you remember but on another episode you said silver lining playbooks usually if you have two people with um uh well what's it called mental disorders yeah mental disorders eventually that doesn't work because they they aggravate each other the, the I had the same feeling on 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 this scene. Like eventually, they should have aggravated each other, and the monster wouldn't have one way or the other. One of them would have. Uh... I I did have a similar thought, which was if if this goes on for more than a day, they're going to murder each other. <laughs> there, dog. It's not going to last. Friend's no, bad. You know, there there's no way this dude is going to actually. Yeah, friend is going to eventually be bad. Like, there's no way this dude is going to. This is going to end. It's, so. To be fair, it probably ended the best way it could have for the hermit, which is that they got the monster out of there because he would have eventually probably killed the hermit. But you know, we don't we don't see that. We see, we only yeah. see, we only see the nice part. <laughs> we're, we're given yeah, we're given the the good stuff, right? And they do they do complete each other, and you know whatever about the the hermit getting resources. I, I think you know that's probably beside the point. Well, he's gonna need a lot more resources now that his hut burned down. <laughs> I guess the writer, the director, whoever, they, they wanted to show that there could be good in Frankenstein, right? Part of the point of this scene was, hey, given a chance, Frankenstein's are, or Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster is okay to hang out with as long as you don't judge him before you give him a, a chance. And I guess they were sitting around and like, oh, what if we had a blind guy? It, it just, it felt like it was a forced way to show that the monster isn't just a monster. Just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy. Like this kind of an idea. AJ, it felt that way because it was forced, <laughs> but it gave us a delightful scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it is contrived. It is melodramatic, right? Melodrama is almost by definition contrived. That's, you know, um, but it, that doesn't mean melodrama is necessarily a bad thing. And as long as you can, uh, you know, fake sincerity, then that's that's kind of the measure of you know whether the, the melodrama is successful and also the scene is um the scene does 
link with the the kind of emotional history of the monster. I don't think you get that ending without that scene, right? Without experiencing good and realizing he is on the outskirts of that, that he, you know, is this marginalized person and that, you know, what happens to people like him and the hermit is you're either killed or your house is burned down. Um, you know, you, he, he can't have that recognition at the end mm. without that experience. The ending is actually quite sad because here he thought he was going to find happiness with the bride and she can't stand him either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's hubris, hubris. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the ultimate rejection, right? It's everybody in the world rejects you, like the other non-normative person rejects you and then in the end the other person who is exactly like you rejects you <laughs> you know it's 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 a complete it, you know the whole movie just follows this um series of, of rejections all right so what we have up to this point now is pat and nick are tied with five and kj has four Ooh. all right Ooh. It's, a close, so, it's a close one it's a close game uh, if Pat knew his Mendelssohn better, it wouldn't be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's get into the final category. This is going to be a round robin, and it is called Movies. It's time for question six. Here in Talking Pictures Trivia, one of the rules of our questions is that you can't go outside of the film. I've decided not to listen to this rule today with this question. And going round robin, I want everyone to list a version of Frankenstein or a movie in which Frankenstein or the monster appear. And if you roughly get the title, that counts. Whoever comes up with the last, who, whoever says the last title wins. All right. And since um, KJ is behind, KJ, you get to start it off. Okay. Let's start with Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. Very good. Um, and then we will go to Nick. What do you have, Nick? Young Frankenstein. All right, Pat, what do you have? Uh, the original Frankenstein. Uh, son of Frankenstein. Okay, there was a bad animated film. I think it was called Transylvania Hotel or something, and I'm pretty sure there was a Frankenstein in that. I've <laughs> seen that. I don't know how technical we're getting. That was just that... some dad that turned into something similar, too. Like, are we counting the monsters then? Uh, that's was. Another one of mine. Is that a movie? Um, no, well, no, it wasn't told... a movie. It was a TV show. Oh, yeah. We yeah. got in the Adams Family movie. I'm just trying to get the scope here. No, are we there talking was no, there was Frankenstein, no... capital F, or are no, we talking he said S? Likeness. A, a likeness also counts. Okay. Um, as long as I could look it up. Hotel Transylvania is actually on my list. Yes. So there you go. Okay, Pat. All right. House of Frankenstein. I'd risk house uh, or not house uh hotel transylvania two or three but to be honest i don't know exactly how many there are so let's go abbott and costello meet frankenstein okay i actually was gonna say hotel transylvania two and house of dracula okay and i i don't want to get out on this but adam's family are we counting lurch does lurch count as a frankenstein i don't think so i because i if he doesn't have bolts and if we're not counting Lurch, I don't want to commit to this answer. Um, 
I have other I will, answers. I will say he's not on my list. Okay. So I think I, I won't won't count it then. Um, let's go with Saturday the 14th. Do you, do you have a rough year when that was made? My, my mm, list is very long. Probably their early 90s, late 80s. It might have been a made-for-TV movie. Okay. And it was Saturday the 14th. It is... I have to look it up. It's, it's it's a you know Friday the thirteenth is bad, but Saturday the fourteenth is worse. <laughs> oh, the hangover okay. is horrible. <laughs> it's a comedy, right? Yep, yep, yep. Whereas I've yeah. heard of this. I don't know if there's a Frankenstein in it. I can I trust you? Is there a Frankenstein <clears throat> in it? I I would maybe trust not you. actually. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since yeah. I've seen it. I just all the classic monsters are in it because their house gets invaded by all of it mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, there is a there is i think he gets locked in a room and then a kid opens the door and i've had so many nightmares about that happening I, i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure there's a frankenstein in it okay i you know what i'm going to trust you on this because i i've looked it up i i can see van helsing and and a few of them there so i'll, I'll just trust you on it nick what do you got okay I'm probably in trouble after this one mm-hmm. there was a hotel transylvania 3 Honestly, I don't know if he was. In, I don't know if they're in this movie. Is is there a Frankenstein monster in Ed Wood? Oh, um, I don't know if he's in I there or not. Yeah, I don't know because he he played Frankenstein's monster a lot. Uh, Bella. No, Bella didn't. Bella played Dracula, but he also played Frankenstein's monster. Oh, did he? I don't know if yeah, he's in there on. or not. I don't know if he's in Ed Wood or not. If he's in there. If yeah, uh, I, I don't, honestly don't know. Either. I don't think there is. I think I would reject that one if I were you. <laughs> okay yeah i don't remember seeing that so i might i don't think there it. is i i truly mm-hmm. don't think there is i'm just throwing it so out there you're saying there's a chance yes i was hoping tom would be like yes there's that random scene where the frankenstein <laughs> monster comes in so no i'm out no it's it's a little later yeah oh, yeah. So oh well out. i'm out okay kj what do you have um Oh man! So Ho- Hotel Transylvania was not the movie I was thinking of before. My my daughters have watched this other movie multiple times, where the family by chance the mom turns into a Dracula and the kid turns into a mummy and the dad turns into a Frankenstein. But it's not Hotel Transylvania. But I cannot remember the name of that movie. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna go with a safe bet, but I have a few more in my head. Um, Monster Squad. Wolfman has nords. Monster Squad. I mean, what year is that? Oh, uh, probably again, either late 80s, early 90s. Um, I would have watched it when I was younger. 87. 87? But I don't know what it is. It's a bunch of, the, the town gets invaded by all the classic monsters and the kids have to defend the town from. I think I do see a Frankenstein's mm-hmm. monster. Too. Okay, very good. Then that will count if there's a Frankenstein's monster in it. All right, Nick, what do you have? I'm I'm hitting a bit of a blank here, uh, but I can't end without anything. So, and it has to be movies, not TV, right? It has to be movies. TV is just going to go too crazy. crazy. <laughs> be here for 14 hours. I know everything's on the line here with this one. And KJ mm-hmm. said he's got a few movies banked already. So, well, we said it could be... Frankenstein's monster adjacent, right? So I'm going to go with Batman, 
uh, with Bane specifically. No, it, it can't be that adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> you got a loose definition of adjacent. Yeah. It has to be the monster. <laughs> the monster. Yeah, I like where you're going. I agree with the monster movie, but. Wow. Uh, I, I, <laughs> you might have you sure you want to lock that answer in? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not with that reception. <laughs> Uh, okay, let me think here for real. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm really going to go out on a limb here. There was a Leslie Nielsen movie called Dracula Dead and Loving It. I'm hoping there was a Frankenstein's monster also in that movie. Let's take a look. It's not on my list. So you may be out. I don't see Frankenstein's monster. Let me look at the full cast. I think I'm out. I think, my friend, you are out. And KJ, you get two points at the end there, making you the winner. All right. Hey. Well done, KJ. Hey. Well done. If you don't mind volunteering the information, I'd love to hear some of the other movies. So the other one that I'm, I'm sure of, although I don't know if it counts because it's only a short, on mm -hmm. the DVDs that I'd gotten from the library, there's a short called Boo exclamation mark mm -hmm. and they take clips of the dracula movie frankenstein probably bride of the other ones that i haven't seen and there's this narrator describing their day like mm -hmm. dracula's getting up in the morning and it looks like oh yep he can't get up oh wait nope now he is getting up and there he goes and oh i think he just met frankenstein and then they cut to frankenstein and, wow he doesn't look happy today i wonder what's bothering him and like they they do this whole it was very funny Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't have that there. Um, I think this is original. So, first Frankenstein movie. Do you know who made it? Thomas Edison in 1910, mm. wow. which was missing for about 50 years, and then it was found in a vault with almost no damage to it. Then Life Without Soul from 1915, The Monster of Frankenstein 1920, and then the famous one of 31. Um, Mickey's Gala premiere, which apparently had a Frankenstein monster in it, Bride. Uh, I'll not do the cartoons or probably all of this. Son of Frankenstein, The Ghost of Frankenstein, Frankenstein Ghost. Meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, Abbott and Costello, which he said, Curse of Frankenstein. I was a teenage Frankenstein, Frankenstein 1970. Um, which also saw the return of uh, Boris Karloff, even though he wasn't playing Frankenstein, he, he appeared in that movie. The Revenge of Frankenstein, The Evil of Frankenstein, Frankenstein Conquers the World, and The War of the Gargantuans, which is a Ichiro Honda movie, monster movie, in which Frankenstein fights giant monsters in Japan, huh. circa Godzilla. Uh, um, Casino Royale, the comedy had a Frankenstein. Frankenstein Created Women, which is another bride, version of bride. Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, The Horror, Frankenstein, Lady Frankenstein, Mad, Mad, Mad Monsters, uh, The Flesh of Frankenstein, Blackenstein for a black exploitation mm. movie, um, The Spirit of the Beehive. Uh, I'm, I'm skipping a few because it just keeps going. The Terror of Frankenstein, Frankenstein 1984, The Bride, which is also a remake, uh, Frakia versus Dracula, The Monster Squad. Um, oh, you said that, Cager, right? The Monster yeah. Squad? Okay, yeah, so that did count. Monster. That was there. Sorry, I missed it. No, um, you got you got points. 
No, you yeah, got points. I didn't see it on my list. I had to look it up. Um, Frankenstein General Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Frankenstein Unbound. And then the softcore pornography, which oh, I'm Oh, if I know those counted. Yeah. Frankenhooker. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, another famous one, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which directed by Kenneth Branagh with Robert De Niro as the oh, monster. I forgot about that. There was yeah. one that, that was awful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. TV yeah, didn't count, bad. but there was one with um, Sean Bean that was called The Frankenstein Chronicles. I don't know if any of you caught that. It was on one of the streaming series. Yeah, it had I, two seasons. I think I it was like at least back to back. I actually enjoyed it, but I don't think it got any major press. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't, uh, wasn't aware of that. I mean, and there's. There's 20 more, I, you know, it's sort of in this Frankenstein, I Frankenstein, Frankenstein versus the mummy, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that was it. And so why I kind of was interested in that question, I mean, why I wanted to end on that was uh, I'm interested in the, this idea of iteration and how you can create a sort of a, a meme or memeplex, this idea of something, which, you know, the, the monster or the idea of, of creating a monster and whatnot, and why this particular idea and why even this particular, like the, the, uh, the Boris Karloff image just repeats so well and so easily through all these different, all these different cycles and some of the variety in the cycles that might be interesting. Well, I think I think Nick started to to get close with that Bane example. I think Frankenstein's monster, sure, but something that we recognize as not human that seems indestructible, that is harming people, almost like the, the Terminator is another Frankenstein monster type movie. I think that idea can be applied to so many situations um, and movies. Is kind of why we see it over and over again. The other one, KJ, that I think of in more modern times, when I saw this movie, it definitely made me think of this as well. The Hulk. The Hulk, you don't like him when he's angry. Frankenstein's monster, when he's not angry, is actually fairly gentle. But you get him angry, and he might kill you. <laughs> so I also think the Hulk is kind of in that spit. I don't want to say spin-off, but evolution of that idea of the monster. I, I think also there's a lot of material that these things adapt. Um, so it's in some cases like the Universal and the Hammer Field, Hammer Films, were two production companies that did cycles of of Frankenstein. Um, but the a, a lot of movies more recently, including the, the god awful Kenneth Branagh version, look back to the book and this this kind of idea of the the original subtitle of the book which is the modern prometheus um and, and are able to employ that as well and it, it's just you know the kind of like resurrection of the dead i don't think that necessarily has the same kind of imaginative capture that it might have had you know 70 years ago and certainly not you know 206 years ago but there is like enough base material here kind of enough base soil for a lot of different variations to grow from I guess you're right, Tom. There's the monster, sure. That's part of what this is. But then the other big part of the Frankenstein story is not to overextend yourself. Like, don't become a god, right? That's a big, that, that's the moral lesson of the first movie. And then by extension, the, the second movie. 
So I guess you could also apply that to a lot of modern stories is don't meddle with what you're not supposed to meddle with because a, a Christian God told you not to, right? That's kind of a big theme in these. Yeah, the, the religious iconography is sort of also all over this movie, even though, you know, it's not expressly pointed to. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. You know, the kind of the, the warning of technology or the warning of modernity too that that i think that's something we always carry with us is um everything's going great now but we're going to invent something that blows us all up or ruins everything uh and the the hesitancy or the the fear of modernity this story um gra grabs onto very very easily so you know i read this book as i said when i was in high school and i remember one of my when i was i was like a sophomore in high school at the time. So it was like teacher at the end of the, the, the year was like, okay, we're going to do this project in which we're going to talk about like the ethics of science. And we had to get like three articles on like different areas of like science. And we had to discuss like how ethics was, you know, reflected in these articles and books and being a high school student, I did everything the last minute. And so I remember I was like, shoot, I need to find like all these articles. I had to find like nine articles or whatever on like different topics. And one of them, I was like, you know what? I read Frankenstein. I could totally pass this off for this like high school assignment as like Frankenstein totally represents, you know, like warnings about science and, you know, this whole, and I wrote, you know, I had to write like one page summaries of each article. And so I did like a page on Frankenstein. And I was thinking, I'm like, oh, the, the teacher is totally going to know this is BS because I did not get an actual article. Like, I just got this thing. And I remember getting it back and he was like, this is such a really good idea to, like, take a book to discuss the, like, warnings of science. And I think you're right. Like, it totally, it totally applies to nowadays in the sense of, like, and, and I think I just said, like, the, the biggest fault in the book is that the reason the monster turns evil is because the, the scientist abandons the monster. That the monster probably would have been fine, except that he abandons his creation and decides that he doesn't want to spend any more, you know, that, that he's afraid of it and he runs away from it. So it's basically this idea that, like, yeah, science carries responsibility. Like, you, you can't just run away from what you've done and what you've made. Like, you, you have responsibility for your actions in terms of that scientific progress in and of itself is not acceptable like you, you have to accept responsibility for it and i think that's actually much more true nowadays than it was then like it's actually there's there's some really fascinating parallels that continue to this day yeah and i think the like the the hammer films revived it in the 50s they started making a bunch of them and in those movies victor who's back to victor again i, I don't know where henry came from um is is uh is much more Henry's like Henry. Such a German name. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Heinrich. Heinrich. Yeah, yeah, Henry Frankenstein. Heinrich Frankenstein. Oh, oh, this is my German accent. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so Hammer Films does this in the fifties. You know, this kind of these Cold War movies, uh, and f uh, the the Doctor or Frankenstein in that is much more sinister. He's kind of you know uh, he he's not like this sort of inconsequential person that he's been put into in this or is sort of um a, a, a bit of a ponce as he is in the book in, in that he's like getting body parts in ways that he really should not be uh, um, and so i think maybe you know that, that kind of idea of the you know the fear of technology being more important 
in the 20th and 21st century sort of bleeds through in that those kind of Cold War era versions of this. Well, Tom, uh, these were some great questions. And KJ, uh, congratulations for taking this one down right at the end. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break for any remaining thoughts in Movie Rant. It's time for Guess That Song, Whistling Edition. I'll whistle a song, and you guess what it is. Here we go. If you guessed I'm Gonna Be by The Proclaimers, you're right. And we're back. It's time for Movie Rant. Yeah, you know, there were um, 
there were a few jokes in this movie. There were a few borderline one-liners that I really enjoyed. Um, the one was Dr. Pretorius is talking to Dr. Frankenstein, and I think they're drinking gin, like you had pointed out earlier, Tom. And, I, and he says, gin is my only vice. Then when he's down in the crypt and the monster shows up, he says, oh, you want a cigar? It's my only vice. <laughs> I loved that that joke. Like that, that he gets to make that as many times as he wants with people. Only he knows that it's kind of funny. I I I enjoyed that joke. But the best line in the movie, maybe by far, goes to Minnie. The 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 guards or whatever capture the monster, drag him into this cell that's kind of strange. It's like in a pit, in a tower kind of thing and all the townspeople are looking through this grate down at the monster and they're like oh my gosh there's a monster down there and the guard looks up at this little window grate thing and says hey what are you guys looking at and Minnie says mind your own business <laughs> it was almost Monty Python-esque <laughs> like <laughs> the, the, the nosy old lady looking down through this grated window is telling the people in there to mind their own business I really like that one Way to be, Minnie. And about that scene, too. They carry him through the woods, lock him up in there, and then he pulls those chains out like they're nothing. So it's that whole sequence of events. I don't know if he got knocked out or something, but his power shifts throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah, it, he's as powerful as he needs to be for each scene. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about too is the actual the bride, the you know the title character of this movie, who comes in. We've totally skipped up to this point. Yeah. <laughs> no, it even been... There's a reason, Pat. There's a reason we skipped her because she's almost like anticlimactic. There's this giant buildup. She gets unveiled and then she like what awkwardly screams like two or three times, and that's all we get from her. Yeah, the movie skipped her too, guys. Let's be honest here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't. She's what you remember from the movie, though. I mean, like, because she's what's everyone remembers the, the movie. hair. It's the hair. Yeah. Remembers the hair. And the they hair remember like the the the, the image of it. Yeah. Um, and she's also like that's Mary Shelley too, right? That's uh, Eliza Lancaster. It's the yes, same woman who plays. Yeah. Me. Elsa. Yeah. Elsa Lancaster. Yeah, Elsa Lancaster. Um, who who's the thing I remember most from from watching this from before and then revisiting it, even talking about it now, was that woman, you know, both as Mary Shelley and as as Frankenstein. Um, you know, she I don't know. I, I understand that she's like the, the bride itself is not a big part of the actual plot of the picture, that it's something that stands in the background. But I do think it stands in the background. I do think on on the like the periphery is this bride who we meet at, it drives the plot yeah it drives the plot right and we meet her at the beginning we literally we're not not her as bride but we meet the woman who's going to be the bride of frankenstein at the beginning and we end with her but this kind of has the same problem that back to the future 2 had when does the monster know he's getting a bride when 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 at what minute mark or what act Right, because the monster pretty far. Yeah, pretty far at in, the crypt. At the crypt, which is really far into the movie. So how much is she in the background? It it could have been anybody, right? Dr. Pretorius doesn't really care who he creates, he just wants to create something. So the only time it becomes important that it's the bride of Frankenstein's monster is when the monster understands that he's getting a bride. Before that, it, it could have been any corpse. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's important because 
that's why there's a conflict. It's because Pretorius wants to make a make a woman. I don't know why he wants to make a woman. He seems well because someone already made a man, so now he's yeah, going yeah, because they say they want he wants to populate a new world, so you know you right. need to have a man and a woman. I mean, that's the idea is that they will okay. they will procreate is the idea because they're they're gods. Yeah, which is actually the idea in the book too. Like right? that, that, that is uh, in the book. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that Frankenstein wants or the monster wants a a wife so that he can have his own his own society and kind of go off alone. There's a whole bunch of science on that to reanimate uh, beings have the ability to procreate, and we're not going to get any answers yeah, on that one know. from this movie. Yeah, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how they do that. Um, I mean, there's there's also the with the, with the fact. I mean, we were saying that like. Everyone wanted that, you know, the Pretorius character, and why is he, you know, he's not in the title of the character. I mean, as Tom, you even, you know, we hinted at earlier, like there's certainly an element of the, the fact that you you have this idea of two men coming together to create life, and you know, given the director's, you know, we've already established his sexual orientation, like there's certainly an element of that as well as you you could certainly and i'm sure given your i haven't read all of it but i'm sure given your statements before that there has been a lot of exploration of this that people would argue that the bride since frankenstein is the doctor that the bride could very easily be pretorius because mm -hmm. he is the one who is providing frankenstein with the opportunity to create new life so there's also that element too that's going on here i assume yeah oh definitely it's yeah it's two men who go off alone together to make life yeah and and while abandoning his wife before they get married like there's there's this there's a strong element of that as well and whether or not that was actually intended to be present or not is is debatable but that's certainly there yeah it is i i don't I don't know if it was intended or not. It really doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't matter. No, I, yeah. I agree. Um, but yeah, that is that has definitely been been talked about in, in some of the, the literature and this I've read. Is yeah, the, you know the, the the sort of the queer fantasy of you know leaving the women behind to be able to populate the world without them, without needing them. Um, it's sort of it's odd because it manifests as as a woman eventually. Uh, but it's you know it's also a a woman who and i think this is why having the same actress play mary shelley and the monster's wife is important or the bride um it, it's a woman who while authoring the thing hadn't been acknowledged as the author for a while and so she is also sort of a creator out of herself right somebody who's kind of denied creative capacity who now can create or now has been authorized as a creator. Um, and it's these two men who, you know, normally two men going off together can't create life. In this situation, they can. And so you have this overlapping of the, the woman author who is able to make life, quote unquote, life through her novel, sort of out of herself, uh, overlapping on top of two men who now can create life by working quote unquote working together. Um, and so I think there's that kind of level of complexity. Went right over my head, but again, I don't think that's what it was originally intended, uh, but I do see how that interpretation could be put there if you look at all those elements. Um, I did have something that I wanted to bring up with this before we, we definitely close today. One of the things that I want to just make sure we acknowledge or, or just tip our hats to is that 
Mary Shelley came up with this idea in 1818. Think about what was presented here, a reanimated corpse using electricity from the sky and science. I thought this was extremely creative, and I think that's why this has lived on and morphed and evolved into the modern monsters that is say were any of you guys kind of like thinking about that like when this original source material was created i mean for me the the original source material is like really of its time too um it it you know it's it's just it's so romantic right and it's it's um like it's intentionally, it's also German. I mean, it isn't, it's a, it's a British novel, but um, the fact that she's setting it in Bavaria um, and it has this German name, which was a real place. Castle Frankenstein was a real place. It was just a really cool word she saw when she was touring Germany. She's like, I'll use that. Um, and and so the, the, the genre itself is, is, it's very much of that period, you know, um, overburdened, really romantic. Uh, the the first novel of that type was uh, the Castle of Entranto, which I believe is 1765, and it's the first like yeah gothic thing where you know um, uh, things that are larger than life that seem to defy nature but don't have necessarily a scientific explanation start happening, and then you have the uh, the, ca- the Castle of Entranto, and then. Um, and Rancliffe wrote a number of these books as well, with these kind of um, kind of like monstrous creations w- within a Gothic setting, within this like foreign, unknowable Germanic, uh, old Frank setting. But she also sets. I mean, they also move the novel. I mean, the novel opens in the basically the Arctic. It's like they're they're actually chasing the monster through the North Pole, essentially. Like it's 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 a it's a great sort of just yeah these Gothic old cold castles and forests and it, it's a great it's it's a fascinating and really cool time period in terms of literature. Like I I love romantic literature. Like that's that's the that's the area I like to read. And so. Nick, to your point, like, it's so, it's cool what they wrote, like, what they did and what, and it does, it just seems like, some of it seems incredibly modern, just in terms of what they were achieving at that time period, in terms of the, the, the settings and the science, and it's, you know, and, and I think to, to your point, it's like, the science seemed unlimited, like, what you could potentially do with science, and this is, you know, science fiction is, is really, is is fascinating to read from that time period going even just to like the time machine you know and and sort of just you know you know twenty thousand leagues under the sea and this is a you know this is an early precursor of that like science was unlimited at that point you could do anything it was just it was such a fascinating period in terms of 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 literature and science and, and what people could actually achieve i just i think that the fact that this kind of literature was coming out of that period is just is absolutely is is an incredible achievement i just i love that stuff but that's me yeah, you know, my grandfather used to talk about um, the old King Kong movie. Was that 33? I'm not sure. Um, but but he said one of the coolest things about that movie is at the time, there was no internet. There was no encyclopedias weren't really a thing. So maybe there was a giant monkey in the jungles somewhere in Africa, right? That Because the information wasn't available, it was like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe. And Nick, you were talking about the electricity. You think about they were we were just starting to capture and and control and understand electricity, so maybe that's all you needed to 
to reanimate, you know, a monster or whatever you were looking to reanimate. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure they knew, like, hey, you run an electric current through a heart, it will beat. Like, th that's the kind of stuff. And then they were like, maybe this works. <laughs> they had no idea. So these were, as much as they were horror fictions and as much as they were, you know, these kind of stuff, like, maybe this works. <laughs> I think there was probably an element, especially at that time, maybe this is possible. Like, maybe we should be a little worried about this. Um, I just, I think that that's, that's such a fascinating period of, of literature and history. I made a joke earlier about the Benjamin Franklin uh, flying a kite experiment, and I looked it up. It was June 10th, 1752. So they were starting to explore these things, but there's a, a big gap between knowing that a current's going to go through there versus reanimating, reconfigured dead body parts. So, and, and this book was 1818. But is it, is, it, is it that big of a jump, though, to go and say, like, you know, look at, look at you know, we were just talking about Godzilla. Godzilla's 1950s, like, you know, is, is the monster born of radiation? Like, is it that big of a, of a jump from a period of you know, radiations discovered in the early 19th century? This is a relatively similar jump, you know, from saying electricity to Frankenstein, from the discovery of radiation to something like um, even Dawn of the Dead. You, you know, this is, this is a similar time period between these discoveries in terms of, of how big of a jump is it between one and the other. Um, and, and I think it's, it's sort of, it, it puts them in perspective that way. Yeah. And what, you know, I said before, this book is of its time and I, I think that's true, but I, you know, the, the kind of point you're making here, Pat, about, uh, look how cool this stuff is. Maybe we should be suspicious of it. However, isn't this cool that we know about electricity now and possibly that can reanimate people. Um, that I think is like, that is the unique thing about this book in comparison to other gothic novels, is that there is, um, the supernatural here is really kind of grounded in the forces of, of nature, as opposed to something beyond nature, or something kind of ghostly. That the ghostliness, you know, that there's, uh, that the ghostliness is the machine that makes it, so to speak, right? It's not the ghost in the machine, but the, you know, the machine in the ghost that becomes important. In, in a work like this. And I think maybe that's the reason why, you know, um, nobody adapts the Castle of Otranto anymore, or, you know, I, I, or why I can't remember any of the names of Anne Radcliffe's novels, even though I think I've read a few, um, but they adopt this, or adapt, I keep saying adopt, adapt this, is that the workings of nature are something we're always getting closer and closer to and consequently are also more mysterious and um, more and are harder to wrap your mind around. So I'm going to get real nitpicky here. Um, again, I don't always do this on movies, but I, I kind of enjoyed this nitpick. So we talked a lot about the beginning of the movie and the framing, but we haven't talked a lot about kind of the next scene where we see the mill burn down again. So at the end of the first movie, Frankenstein, it ends with um, this mill being burnt down and that is what is supposed to have killed the monster and, and Dr. Frankenstein, I'm pretty sure, but at the end of the first movie. So in this one, we recap that and you watch the mill burn down again and everyone's like, all right, monster's dead. Um, they're dragging the Dr. Frankenstein's corpse away. But there's a guy who's like, I need to see the monster dead for myself. And he goes into kind of it's like a basement of the mill or maybe a well in the mill 
and we find the monster has survived by being in the water down underneath the mill. And during this scene, twice at least, they cut to an owl, presumably observing this underground well. And I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm, is the owl down? Like, what? I mean, it's creepy. It looks cool to cut to an owl. I guess you can do that in any horror movie, but it was just really strange that they decided to um, cut to a, an aviated, and, you know, a bird when they were underground while they were struggling with the monster. I don't know. Well, one thing, doesn't, doesn't the original film, the film doesn't end with the murder, doesn't it? Doesn't it end with them celebrating the marriage in the original film? Um, I, yeah, I thought He's so. not dead in the original film. Uh, yeah, he doesn't die either. Yeah. Doesn't so that's die. retconned? In the yeah. original movie, they have a wedding celebration. <laughs> they clearly assumed the audience forgot about that. Yeah, they, well, they they jump back in right when they need to. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, monsters not dead, and neither is Frankenstein. And, and nor owls can live owls, in mills. And nor can an owl there's there's live an owl in down there. Right? Well, I think I think I can provide a little clarity to that point. Oh, oh really? Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's not necessarily a, a basement because the structure burnt down. It's the lower left. So the mill is clearly hydropowered. So it's like turbines. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, hang on, It's, hang on, it's hang also wind-powered, right? Is it, <laughs> it's wind-powered. Wind it's powered by wind. <laughs> <laughs> it could be both. <laughs> this is the, the, the will stuff. is not, the, the mill stuff is not very well designed. Just so you know, they did have in those days where the water would grind. There was, there were, there were the water, water wheels, wheels. <laughs> like with a waterfall. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. This, I'm, I'm trying to make this work. Okay. <laughs> I'm not staking my life on this. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm yeah. trying to make the owl in the mill. I'm trying work. to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it work that the owl flew into the hole. <laughs> I'm loving it. That's where he made his nest down at the, you know. In the well of the will. I've been to mills that had the water rushing through (laughs) that you could see how it would be used to grind. So maybe multi, but they were ahead of their time, you know, wind power, water power, you know, they, they got everything going. Germans are very (laughs) efficient. They They also had phones apparently in 1820, according to this. I like that. I like that, that they pointed it out as a, uh, as a science fiction type device right they they, it, they weren't just picking up the phone like they were on it all the time it was i've created this electrical device so we can talk to your wife far away i i, I yeah, kind of like that they're also dressed like it's they're dressed and, they're not in, the time period the dress of yeah it's like edwardian clothing yeah, yeah that's i think why it would have been hilarious if, if they framed it with an early 19th century device and then had the film set in the late 19th century <laughs> kj i think it would have, would, would have really uh, enhanced that scene is if they each had uh, uh cans connected by a wire <laughs> <laughs> it's the same principle <laughs> I also have a very important thing that I'd like to bring up regarding this. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just something that I saw, and I thought it was kind of cool. So when they introduced the movie, they referred to the actors as the players on the screen, which I thought was interesting. And then at the end of it, there was a line that said, a good cast uh, is worth repeating. And then they replayed the players. I just thought that was interesting. 
Well, they did that in the first movie as well because they don't, or in the first movie, they, they put the cast at the beginning, but they put question marks for the monster because I think they want you to believe that it could actually be a monster. And then at the end, I think they wanted to put the cast up again, but didn't want to look like they were making a mistake. And that's why they said a good cast is worth repeating. And then they put uh, Karloff as the monster. So I think it was kind of a, a repeat of that. In this movie, what they did slightly different was the bride remains a question mark in both. So Elsa Lancaster does not get the screen credit for playing the bride. So that's similar to what you're saying in yep, the first yep. one. Mm-hmm. They left the question yep. mark. That was one of the alternative questions. Was which which character um, is 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 given a screen credit as a punctuation? You know what question I prepared for that I was sure Tom would ask? Like, what tune was the blind guy playing? That was one of the questions, ah, but I, I knew I abandoned it. Maria, yeah, yes, yeah. Ave Maria. I was like, that's yeah. a Tom question right there. Yeah. I, see, I see, this music. is so next time when we get to this point of the rant, the, the rant should be all of the questions we think Tom would have asked, and we get to ask Tom those questions. You'd probably get him. Because I did the same thing. Like I remember so I'm like, all right, what are all of the characters under the glass? What are the like <laughs> phrases? And <laughs> I tried to memorize all of them. Well, guys, uh, this was another fun episode. Tom, thanks for uh, recommending this one. It was a blast to talk about. And Pat, uh, once again, congratulations for winning. I didn't win. Oh, KJ won. Oh. Oh, and KJ. Once again, congratulations for winning right at the last second. Hey, thanks. But, you know, Pat probably did deserve the win. So I don't know if you want to give it to him. Nope. I have my, you know, hubris, hubris. (laughs) It's the theme of this episode and movie is hubris. Pat, thanks again for joining us uh, uh, this week. Thank you, guys. Uh, No, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was uh, was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Always great to have you back here. Uh, Thanks to our reanimated editor, KJ, who masterfully crafts these episodes. I'd also like to acknowledge IMDb, which is a great resource for movie information. Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews, as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Join us next time when we discuss Nick's, which is my recommendation from 1987, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Should be a fun one. See you then. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, my sophomore year, and it was called Mimpy, and it was this, like, Balinese dance, dr- like, dream thing. It was a really weird play. And so Tom had to do, like, Balinese dance with, like, really long hair, and he was, like, and basically, like, apparently all the freshmen thought he was a foreign exchange student. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we can't quite place, like, what is this accent? Like, <laughs> and he's got long hair, talks like and, he's, that. and he's doing this weird dance thing, like, he must be European. <laughs> like, he can't be. Like, no, he's from Jersey. They're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm yeah, just right. going to read this real quick. I'm going to say still conveniently. Like, still also is.
Still conveniently, like, so that's a better phrasing. We, yeah, we KJ and I had this discussion. Already. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one or the other. Back, yeah. Still conveniently, that's good. So, which one did you bet that I would keep, the still or the also? We all on previous episodes you had also. Ah. Now I don't remember. Um, previous episodes you either had also still or still also. So we switched the still and the also on this one. Yeah, I said I think it should be still also likes movie if you, if you're going to go with that construction. However, still conveniently is just much better because yeah. <laughs> yes. really it avoids also, yeah. all redundancy. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I'm glad we got that settled. 